It's Friday, October 1st, 2021, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Right now, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, REGI, represents Pennsylvania's best opportunity to substantially reduce its contribution to climate change. And the DEP rulemaking that will link the Commonwealth with the 11-state regional carbon market is nearly complete. Along with all those emission reductions, Pennsylvania will also reap significant financial rewards through the sale of allowances. The question now is how those funds will be allocated. Governor Wolf has proposed using Reggie money to help ratepayers, energy industry workers, and their communities weather the transition. But to be able to do that, um, that would require new legislation to expand the palette, if you will, of what Reggie proceeds could be used for. We'll look at what's next for Reggie, and we'll get an update on other environmental policy developments from the state capitol just ahead, right after a news update from PAC's Lily Jones. Last week, the Wolf administration introduced Pennsylvania's updated climate action plan to meet the target greenhouse gas reductions of 26% by 2025 and 80% by 2050 compared to 2005 levels. The plan identifies 18 strategies in different areas, including electricity generation and transportation, the largest contributors to Pennsylvania's emissions. According to DEP Secretary Patrick McDonnell, creating a carbon-free electricity grid, increasing industrial energy efficiency, and getting more electric vehicles on the road are the most impactful strategies that could be implemented in the near future. If we do not step up, not only will we not reach our goal of lowering emissions, but the Pennsylvania of 2050 will be generating 1.4% more emissions than in 2005. That's a lot of heat waves and a lot more flooding. Secretary McDonnell also said that joining the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative would help set Pennsylvania on the path towards meeting its emissions goals. Pittsburgh released an ambitious transportation and mobility plan last week. Focusing on the next 50 years, the plan brings together old city plans with hundreds of comments from stakeholders and residents to create an expansive vision for a better connected Pittsburgh. Addressing infrastructure inequities and advancing mobility justice was a core goal of the vision plan, as well as planning for and responding to climate change. Proposed projects include high-speed intercity transit, regional commuter rail, an improved regional trail network, a water transit network, and pedestrian and bike safety improvements. Philadelphia's plastic bag ban goes into effect today. This new law will impact all businesses that offer single-use plastic bags for carryout items, including restaurants, grocery stores, and clothing stores. Paper bags that don't contain at least 40% recycled content are also prohibited as of today. The city of Philadelphia hopes that the ban will help reduce litter in streets and waterways, save the city and taxpayers money, and keep recycling facility staff safe. One month ago, the State Regulatory Review Commission signed off on a rulemaking that will make Pennsylvania the newest member of REGI, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. That vote was one of the final hurdles DEP needed to clear before the rule can take effect next year. And with 2022 now in sight, the focus is beginning to shift to the question of how the Commonwealth can leverage REGI proceeds to grow its energy economy while supporting citizens through the transition. That's just one of the questions before lawmakers and policymakers in Harrisburg as we head into the fall season. PEC's Senior Vice President for Legal and Government Affairs, John Walliser, is here for an update. John, welcome back. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been. Thanks, Josh. Well, you've been busy, and that's what we're here to talk about, starting with, I think, the, the big item, or at least something that's been 
very important for PEC these last few years, uh, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which is finally moving closer to, I think, to uh, kind of the end game. Can you give us an update on where things stand with Reggie and how we can expect to, to play out over the next few months? Sure, I'd be happy to. So the General Assembly is about to conclude its summer break. Uh, they will be coming back into session. Um, and one of the things that's going to be at the forefront of their attention is Reggie, otherwise known as the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Um, as a quick refresher, uh, Reggie mirrors in most respects other market-based programs that states like Pennsylvania have used to reduce air pollution over the years. Uh, right now, there are currently 11 states participating in Reggie and Pennsylvania, along with North Carolina, is now working on participating as well. Um, with Reggie, each state develops their own implementation program consistent with a shared target of carbon dioxide emission reductions for the electric generation sector. And then each of those programs are able to link to the Reggie emission market platform to facilitate those reductions. Um, proceeds generated from that market are then returned to the states for any number of potential uses, which we can chat about here in a moment. In terms of where things currently stand in the state, um, the rulemaking was developed by the State Department of Environmental Protection, uh, which, and the rule was approved by the Independent Regulatory Review Commission on September 1st. Uh, which follows in the footsteps of approval of the rule that was done earlier in the summer by multiple DEP advisory boards and the Environmental Quality Board. So the language of the rulemaking itself is now final. Uh, there were a few changes made from the proposed version that we had seen earlier in the year. Um, and because this is a state-based program, there are elements in the rule that are unique to Pennsylvania. In other words, it's not a flat rule that all the states have to adopt. Um, the most notable of these um, things that are unique to Pennsylvania is what's termed the waste coal set aside, which effectively provides a working exemption for waste coal fired generation facilities in the state um, from the emission reduction targets in the Reggie rule. The logic being that these facilities provide a land and water reclamation benefit by utilizing waste coal, even though, even though those facilities produce air emissions like carbon dioxide. Um, there is an overall emissions cap on the exemption though, so it's not completely open-ended. Um, one change that was made from the proposed to the final rule was to essentially segment the 2022 emissions budget into quarters for the calendar year of 2022 in the event that the rule is not finalized by January 1st. Um, so in terms of next steps, there are a few different moving pieces. On the administrative side, the final step now for the rule is a review for legality by the attorney general. Um, and it's important to note that this is a strictly a legal review of the rulemaking. Uh, in other words, making sure it's not in conflict with any other standing law and that there is property authority to advance it. It's not a political or opinionated review by the AG. On the legislative front, there are now efforts in the legislature to abrogate the rulemaking. 
Um, Pennsylvania's regulatory review and approval process provides the General Assembly with the option to pass a resolution to disapprove the rulemaking, um, but that would need to be approved by the entire General Assembly, both the House and the Senate, and signed by the governor. Um, it's important to note that this uh, process is distinct from legislation that has already been introduced in the legislature, Senate Bill 119 and House Bill 637 that would subject any proposed rulemaking on reduction of CO2 emissions to be reviewed and affirmatively approved by the legislature. Um, the state's Regulatory Review Act gives the legislature an extended time frame to pass a resolution to block the existing rulemaking. So DEP cannot finalize the rule until this process runs its course. Um, so it's likely that we won't see finalization of the rule until early 2022, which is one of the reasons why DEP segmented the emissions allowance budget, as I mentioned earlier. What would be like the final step in this process? At what point is Pennsylvania officially linked up with Reggie? So if the rule is approved by the attorney general and the general assembly does not pass a resolution to abrogate the rulemaking or the governor vetoes that resolution, DEP will publish the rule in the Pennsylvania bulletin. Once that's done, when that's done, um, the rule is then in effect, and that's when Pennsylvania effectively can link into the Reggie platform. So in addition to the Reggie rulemaking, there is the need to address how Reggie emission auction proceeds will be spent if Pennsylvania does link to the program. Um, and this presents another interesting policy uh, choice. The legal authority for the Reggie rulemaking comes from the State Air Pollution Control Act which provides a mechanism for DEP to be able to receive and redistribute Reggie auction proceeds. However, due to the language of that law, DEP can only utilize those proceeds for programs and activities that reduce air pollution in the Commonwealth. Now that still allows for a very wide range of potential investment spending opportunities so from electric vehicle infrastructure deployment to low-income home weatherization to even carbon capture at manufacturing and industrial facilities. Um, so even given the considerable amount of auction proceeds that are likely to be generated, there is no shortage of potential uses and benefits. But Governor Wolf and some members of the legislature want to be able to use those proceeds for other important uses like helping communities that have experienced or will experience in the future pollution abatement or community investment needs resulting from energy development and clean energy transitioning. There are also opportunities to bolster energy consumer assistance programs or utilize other types of community or environmental justice focused investments. But to be able to do that, um, that would require new legislation to expand the palette, if you will, of what Reggie proceeds could be used for. So legislation has been introduced in the General Assembly and is supported by the Wolf administration to accomplish this. Um, that's Senate Bill 15 and House Bill 1565. And this is legislation that PEC supports as well. 
But even if the legislation doesn't pass, DEP has the ability and they are um, pursuing their own guidance for how they would distribute proceeds under the Air Pollution Control Act language. Um, that policy document is going to be available for public comment sometime before the end of this year so it can be finalized in time for when the rulemaking goes into effect. So this was, you know, one of maybe the biggest item on on PEC's wish list of recommendations for for climate policy looking forward, and this is gonna this is gonna make a, a significant impact hopefully pretty soon. What's the next biggest opportunity for reducing greenhouse gas emissions? So that would be something else that we've been focusing on, and that's another proposed rulemaking that the Department of Environmental Protection has been advancing to address uh, emissions of volatile organic chemicals, more commonly known as VOCs, and emissions of methane from existing natural gas production and infrastructure facilities. So the Department of Environmental Protection had the proposed rulemaking to regulate methane emissions from existing natural gas production and infrastructure facilities. That proposed rule was out for public comment last summer, and we have been waiting for the Department of Environmental Protection to assess that input and generate a final version of the rule. We are supportive of the rulemaking, um, which will help address the issue of methane emissions from rising natural gas production in the Commonwealth. Um, Methane is a greenhouse gas that is even more potent than carbon dioxide. And there is justified concern that any climate benefits gained from replacing coal with natural gas as a generation source is lost to the rising prevalence of methane emissions, both intentional and unintentional. This rulemaking is important because it will require operators to perform regular leak detection and repair of equipment and facilities. A shortcoming of the rule, however, is that it currently provides an exemption for wells that produce low volumes of natural gas. The problem with this exemption is that there is no assured correlation between production levels and the occurrence of methane leaks and emissions. Analysis performed, and this has been covered in earlier episodes of this podcast, um, shows that as much as 50% of methane emissions from these types of low producing facilities uh, equal to uh, 500,000 tons of methane could end up exempted from the regulation if this low producing threshold exemption stays in place. This stands in stark contrast to what other gas producing states like Colorado and New Mexico allow for their leak detection requirements. So we have been advocating for DEP to strengthen the rule and significantly narrow the exemption. This proposed rule will follow the same course that the Reggie rulemaking did. Um, So uh, once the language is finalized, it will be presented to DEP advisory boards it will be reviewed by the State Environmental Quality Board and the Independent Regulatory Review Commission. And that's probably gonna happen at some point later this fall or early in the winter. Um, The other thing to keep an eye on is the Environmental Protection Agency at the federal level is also contemplating rulemaking on this issue. So to us, it's imperative that Pennsylvania strengthen and finalize its rules so it isn't forced back to the drawing board based on what might uh, what might happen at the federal level. But the range of policy issues we're following aren't just related to climate and air pollution. There are another 
there are a number of other important issues that we've been following. Um, something that may seem relatively minor, but is extremely important for recreation in the Commonwealth is legislation, House Bill 1694, that would expand an existing law, um, the Recreational Use of Land and Water Act, parenthetically one of my favorite acronyms that I still can't pronounce properly, um, which provides liability protections for landowners who allow free public access to their property for recreation. What the bill does is it extends that liability protection to include volunteers and volunteer-based organizations like trail groups or others who help build and maintain these amenities. Um, so we're hoping this legislation is taken up by the legislature in the fall. Relatedly, one thing we've been doing in association with PEC's trail project work is helping decision makers like, le like legislators understand the surge in recreation and public land use that has happened in the Commonwealth over the past several years. And of course has been greatly amplified by the COVID pandemic. Um, while more people using these amenities is a great outcome that helps drive our state's recreation economy, it's also amplifying stresses on maintenance and access demands. Um, and towards that end, next month, the state house will be holding a joint committee hearing on the growth in recreational use in the state and what needs to be done to sustain it. Um, and we're hoping to continue to be part of that conversation. Something else we're following are two separate bills, Senate Bill 525 and Senate Bill 832 that would appropriate a considerable amount of federal American Rescue Plan dollars for watershed conservation and recreational programs in the Commonwealth, which of course is exciting news assuming one of these bills is able to advance. Senate Bill 525 builds in many ways on the framework established by Pennsylvania's existing and very well-known Growing Greener program. Um, Senate Bill 832 is more narrowly focused, though certainly no less ambitious um, on watershed and water quality improvements across the state. There are a lot of contested issues at play in the General Assembly right now relating to legislative redistricting and ongoing response to the COVID pandemic, uh, in addition to how to spend federal assistance dollars. So it's truly to say what the prospects of Senate Bill 525 or 832 might be. Certainly, there's a clear need for these types of investments, um, ranging from the demand on recreation recreational resources that we've discussed to the extreme flooding events that have been happening in the Commonwealth and are likely to worsen due to climate change. We know these investments aren't luxuries, they're essential to public health and well-being. So PEC is busy working with our partners in Harrisburg and throughout the state in getting these legislative proposals closer to the finish line in Harrisburg. We've also been heavily engaged at the federal level to pursue opportunities for the Commonwealth presented by both the federal bipartisan infrastructure proposal, as well as the budget reconciliation package. The, the details of the latter are still emerging. Um, this is probably a topic we should revisit once the legislation is finalized, but there are a few key items worth mentioning at the moment. First, there are 
significant funds proposed for the plugging of orphaned oil and gas wells, which I know was covered in depth in a podcast discussion with Adam Peltz from the Environmental Defense Fund a few episodes back in terms of how extensive this legacy pollution problem is in Pennsylvania and what the federal legislation could provide. Equally important with respect to our legacy pollution is reauthorization of the Abandoned Mine Land Trust Fund, uh, which is something PEC's been engaged in for decades. Um, This provides critical funding for abandoned mine land and acid mine drainage remediation projects. Uh, When you combined orphan wells and abandoned mine issues, um, the cost of Pennsylvania is in the billions and billions of dollars in terms of remediation and liability costs. So anything and everything we can do to raise investment in these projects makes a huge difference. And back to where we started with climate and energy, um, we're also active on a few different fronts. Uh, First, we've been advocating for increased federal financial incentives for carbon capture deployment, particularly for manufacturing and industrial activities where emission reductions are much more challenging with respect to things like electrification and energy sourcing and where facilities face both domestic and international market pressures. We're also tracking the proposed clean electricity payment program that's in the budget reconciliation package. Um, The legislative language for this was just released in the last few days. This is a really interesting and innovative approach to clean energy transitioning that focuses in on the utilities. Um, It establishes goals for ramping up clean energy procurement. uh, And that includes nuclear and fossil generation with carbon capture. Uh, with larger payments to those utilities that meet the goals of the CEPP and smaller penalties levied on those that don't. Um, And these goals are relative. Each utility would have its own established baseline against which its progress is measured. So in other words, service territories that currently have a high percentage of emitting generation in their profiles won't be under expedited or imbalanced pressure to transition to cleaner sources. It's more of a rising tide, rising tides lifts all boats approach. Um, And frankly, this clean electricity payment concept validates what states like Pennsylvania are doing in terms of efforts like linking to the regional greenhouse gas initiative. Um, We're already seeing neighboring states participate in Reggie and advance strong clean energy standards. And utilities across the country, including here in Pennsylvania and in the larger PJM service region, are setting commitments to decarbonize. So by providing the means to drive emission reductions at generation facilities within the state, we're helping ensure that we'll not only meet these decarbonization goals, we'll also ensure that Pennsylvania remains an energy producer in the years and decades to come. All right. Well, we will uh, keep in touch and keep an eye on the PEC bill tracker and the policy section to get the latest developments. Until the next time uh, we get you on the podcast, John, thanks again for, for stopping by. Thank you. 
John Wallace here is Senior VP for Legal and Government Affairs at the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. You can stay current on all the measures we just discussed by visiting the PEC Bill Tracker tool on our website. You can find a comprehensive running list of current bills and rulemakings related to the environment, conservation, and outdoor recreation. The Bill Tracker is easy to navigate, and it's a great way to find the current status of any proposal you may be curious about. You can also find out where PEC stands on that issue and learn how to share input with your elected representatives. It's all on the website, PECPA.org, along with blog posts, videos, news from PEC, event listings, and of course, more podcast episodes. You can find all of our Pennsylvania Legacies back catalog on the PEC website, which again is at PECPA.org. Pennsylvania Legacies is available on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, including SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player.fm, Google Play, Spotify, and you can plug in our RSS feed to most mobile podcast apps in order to subscribe to the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. We appreciate it if you do, and we appreciate your feedback and your positive ratings and reviews on whichever platform you use. Be sure to join us for the next podcast episode coming out in about two weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening.